What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. Today's show is just fantastic. We are jacked to have Dr. L. Carol Scott on the program. If you don't know Carol, today is your lucky day. She's a trauma-informed developmental psychologist, TEDx speaker, coach, and number one international best-selling author. Carol brings the sass. What's sass? Self-aware success strategies to help you get along better on the adult playgrounds where you play today. She has mixed hundreds of years of child development theory with 21st century brain imaging research, decades of her own experience with developing humans of all ages, and I think you are going to dig it. So buckle up, TC Beers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Dr. L. Carol Scott on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Right. Well, let's get started because Laurel's got to go. We need to get this. You get to get this show on the road. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. It is so good to see you all. Here it is. Wednesday, your favorite day and mine. It's bartender day. Um, it is the last day of August. And I don't know uh, if I marvel at the passage of time more anywhere else than here on Wednesday afternoons, because <laughs> holy cow, I can't believe the summer's over and that it is almost September and uh, it'll be cool enough for Hillary here in just in just a few weeks. <laughs> we are episode 142 and today's going to be a good one. We've got a guest today as many of you have seen up in your Brady Bunch view. You can see Dr. L. Carol Scott. Dr. L. Carol Scott is going to be with us today. We're going to be talking about relationships, a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. She uh, she's a trauma informed developmental psychologist, and that word in her opening line of her bio caught me. Trauma informed, because uh, Dr. Carol, I am reading uh, the body keeps the score right now, which I'm sure you know all about. And I do. Yeah, so I've got questions about trauma <laughs> and some of the commentary in 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 your opening that I'll get to when we get to the interview. Um, kind of kind of blew my mind because they're in line with a, a lot of the things I'm reading in that book right now. So she's a trauma-informed developmental psychologist, TEDx speaker, coach, and international best-selling author. And the thing I like the best about Carol is she brings the sass. <laughs> and this got Ruby all excited when I told her today that uh, this was happening because Ruby's pretty darn sassy herself. But SAS are self-aware success strategies. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some questions around what that is, what that means, what's the framework look like. Um, she's going to have a gift for you here at the end of the show. And I will put uh, instructions on how to get that gift as we get to the end. Um, and uh, other than that, I got one piece of news for you and our normal end of show thing. Um, as you guys all know, I try to pick news items that are relevant to our guests when we have a guest. And this was a, a HBR article that came out just a few days ago, August 19th, 
called How to Build Real Relationships at Work. And uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. The opening says, doing your job is only part of your job. The rest comes down to being seen, heard, and known, none of which is possible without strong relationships. And you, you all know that at Sky Team, that is the lens through which we see everything. Because according to the work that we've done, right, you've heard me say it a thousand times, the quality and depth of the relationships you have are the biggest influencer of your happiness, engagement, and productivity at work. Um, but this article kind of takes it from a hybrid office twist. You know, it was interesting. Ruby and I were talking to a person today who is uh, starting a new gig, and it is the second gig she started in the pandemic. So the second gig that she will have started in some sort of weirdo hybrid or remote capacity. And, you know, we've talked about this a hundred times and we know it to be true. Building relationships in hybrid environments is, is hard. It's more awkward than it used to be, you know, especially, especially for us of the more introverted persuasion, you know, the disc C's of the world. I don't want to bother anybody. I just want to, you know, I just want to do my work and I don't want to, I don't want to piss them off or irritate them. So, um, but then there's this window of opportunity that closes um, when we're new and when we're meeting people and when we, we engage in what we call first contact in a relationship, you know, <laughs> if we let six months go by, then things get real weird and we just don't do it. So the article kind of broke it down into, into four steps, which I thought were interesting. They're, they're pretty simplistic. Some of the questions uh, that the author puts in there, I don't know that I would use them, but not everybody's me. So I get that. So step one, they say, is break the silence. And this is the hardest step because it's the easiest to overthink. You know, mm -hmm. am I going to bother them? What are they going to think of me? What do I even say? Um, and then that doubt sinks in. So they give you some some ideas about things to say, you know, <laughs> very, very easy things to do. If you're having a, you know, a, an all hands meeting or a town hall show up a little bit early and sit beside a stranger who doesn't look occupied. <laughs> I was like, man, that I don't even do that. I don't want to sit next to anybody. I want to sit next to Ruby because I know I can just talk to her, <laughs> but that's what we do. Right. It's like, I remember being the new guy at work and the first day you get under the cafeteria and you get your lunch and you walk out with your tray and you start to look around like, I don't know where to sit. I don't know any of those people. You know, kind of like middle school. And yeah, school. <laughs> so much like middle school. And then I would end up just going back up to my office and working with my food, you know, whatever. Um, so coming up with some sort of icebreaker to, to break that silence and say things. And, you know, there are people for whom this comes real easy. I mean, Ruby's one of them. <laughs> Ruby and I were in Tucson last week with a client and we had back-to-back -back sessions with about an hour and a half in between. And I told her, I said, in between those sessions, I'm going back to my room and I'm going to talk to nobody and I'm going to be alone by myself. And she's like, okay. So we did, we went back to the hotel and I went to my room and I closed the door and I didn't talk to anybody. What did you do, Ruby? I went downstairs. I had lunch, did a few emails. <laughs> talked to people in the lobby, randos in the hall. <laughs> Uh, Chuck said I can sit with him, but he's going to insist on my milk money. Yes. Well, as a lawyer, Chuck, I would assume you would insist on all my money anyway. So that's just <laughs> how that works. So breaking the silence was step one. Step two was, was turning high into high again. 
you know, it's the idea that the first time you do something, it's always uncomfortable, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk to strangers in all sorts of weird retail situations, right? Airports, TSA, hotels, car rental desks. I'll talk to anybody. I wear baseball hats because as you, many of you know, I've been doing social experiments for several years now and people love talking about baseball. I don't know why, but that's the thing that gets me into more conversations than ever. And then once I've done that, like, you know, Ruby and I were back at a hotel we were at in May and we ended up having conversations with waitstaff and bartenders and people that we remembered the, the gal that works in the coffee shop, right. With just people that we ran into in May, it was a whole lot easier to talk to them second time around. Um, step three is turn high again into let's chat. That's sort of breaking it into a larger conversation. Now you've had a, you've created a pattern and then step four is turn let's chat into let's build a relationship. And this, this is where some of the questions I'm just like, eh, I don't know. They said, first, try sharing your goals. <laughs> For example, as I reflect on where I'd like to be five years from now, I'd love to follow in your footsteps. Yeah, Carol's shaking her head. Yeah. <laughs> Do the yeah. Wrong answer. <laughs> I read that question and I'm like, I don't even answer that question in an interview context because I hate that question. <laughs> so I liked the structure of the let's make first contact. Let's make it a pattern. Now let's make it a conversation and then let's build upon that momentum. But the questions, yeah, they were not my, not my jam. Um, so hearing this relationship expert, Dr. L. Carol Scott, how does this land on you, this structure for breaking the silence and building relationships? Well, yeah, I think the, the steps sound pretty good, but when, you know, that being seen, being heard and being known piece, mm -hmm. that means if that's what I want, I need to want that for other people. And I need to ask questions that get at that, yeah. not what are your goals, but you know, how are you feeling today? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and really how you feeling today. <laughs> exactly. Not just fine, fine. <laughs> really how you feeling today or, Hey, what do you want out of this? Yeah. You know, I kind of, the heart of who we are is what we think, feel, need, and want. Think, yeah. Feel, need, and want. So ask somebody questions about those four things. Mm -hmm. That seems pretty easy. That's it. That reminds me of um, Aaron Weed and her head, heart, and core. Right. Oh, yeah. Talking to people, you can talk to people from the factual, intellectual perspective. You can talk from an emotional perspective, and you can talk from a want perspective. And that you can find connection with people in different different ways. And some may resonate more in one way than somebody else in another way. Yeah, I haven't thought about Aaron in a while. That's that's a great point, Laurie. And anybody listening, there are two Aaron Weed episodes we have, one on Head Heart Core and one on her process called The Dig, mm -hmm. which uh, our own Laurie Lance went through as a participant. She got dug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't checked those out, check them out. Um, any other thoughts from, from the peanut gallery here on on this idea, this idea of building real relationships at work? Just something that came up for me this week, Eric, as people are returning to the office, I was coaching someone and he's really worried uh, about coming back into the office and doing this in real time mm. because that mm -hmm. muscle hasn't been flexed mm -hmm. for a while. And um, he's also sort of worried about, he feels safer at home. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting. He doesn't want to come back in the office. So there's a little bit of safety for him in this relationship 
building piece too for him. So for him to reach out and just connect with people for no good reason um, mm-hmm. is, is going to be really uncomfortable for him, I think. And, and having to actually sit in a room with someone, I think, is that an idea is stressing him out. Hmm. I could build on that, Ruby. Yeah. There's two things. One, you said, Eric, about building relationships virtually. Having done that for the last two years with my friends and colleagues and 100 coaches, I got to meet many of them in three dimensions only recently. And it was like greeting long lost friends that I hadn't. Mm. And so it was interesting to me because we had never met in real life in three dimensions. That was the first time. And yet the two years of virtual just being on WebEx had built deep relationships, as Ruby would say. And as Ruby just said, but what I did find was that my own small talk had atrophied. And that whole, remember, I wrote an article a while back about why we forget people's names. I'm going to resurrect it because all (laughs) of those muscles have been um, slightly differently tapped into for the last two years. And so I need to get fit again for meeting people over a drink or at the coffee line or during a three-dimensional session. Well, but something that <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Lori. Something that Stacy and I have noticed and talked about that when we go into the office, for for some people, it's like <laughs> when you're at your desk and you just want to run to the restroom and you don't get back to your desk for an hour later because every time you see somebody, <laughs> they're like, "Hi, la 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 la," right? And and so for some people it's they're starving for yeah. that in person and it's it's not and maybe some of their social awareness has atrophied in terms of were you going somewhere did you have something <laughs> did you to have do to be really bad? I dominated the <laughs> last 30 minutes of your time but i think that's also the thing to be sensitive to is our appetite for that connection is can look different than, than other people's and other people that i see literally you know, nine rows across the, you know, building, we can just wave, be like, nice to see you. Take you right. And that's like, that's connection for us. Other people, you know, it's, it's 20 minutes of of catching up and chit chat. And so (laughs) that, that also is just going to look and feel different based on people's natural tendencies, you know, hundred percent. It's funny. It makes me think, you know, the, the back to the office push and the idealization of what it was like to be in the office. I don't know about you, but I would, when I worked in an office, I wasted a shit ton of time talking to people, just talking to people here and there, and, you know, between the the hallway conversations, the, you know, the break room conversations, the people that pop by your office and just say, hey, do you have a sack? And 20 minutes later, right, you're, they're still there. Um, it was funny. Ruby and I were with a client in D.C. a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time that they had been in real space together. And the thing, the thing that they were blown away by was how tall or not people were. (laughs) (laughs) Your legs are so long. They're like, I never thought you were that tall because they've only seen him here, right? Everybody's the same height here. It's an egalitarian height machine. (laughs) That's hilarious because Lori at the memorial, when Chris, I walked up to give him a hug and I was like, oh my goodness. People forget. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Well, you know, so relationships is is a thing. I thought the article was interesting. Caught my eye. You know, we always say that having a framework is better than just winging it. And so I like the idea that there is, you know, sort of a, a framework that builds upon itself. You know, I think to everybody's comments here, um, we've, 
we've gotten off our game as it relates to, to building those relationships. You know, it's been interesting being back on the road and in front of clients and over the last few weeks, I've, I've, I've done, I don't know, four different, different gigs and it's exhausting, right? <laughs> I mean, not only have the small talk and in building relationship muscles atrophied, it just takes a lot more juice Yep. Um, to get through the day, you know, I, I've, I've been used to facilitating, you know, maybe one or two, two hour workshops on a given day here digitally. And that's a whole different vibe than being in a room with people. It's just, it's just exhausting. And at the end of the day, I'm crushed. And I, I, that was the way it was before, but it just, it's more so now it's more intense. Last week, I, my kids were back in school full time. And so I was up at five 30 every morning. <laughs> and so that was part a, and then four days last week, I had to go to the office. And so it, it, it threw me back into something that I did every freaking day for 20 years <laughs> and didn't really think twice about it, but it was so foreign to the last two years. I, yeah. I haven't been in the office four days in a week since the pandemic started. Right. And so the combination of really early morning routine, getting kids to school and dropped off and then getting to the office and going through full days in the office and coming home and do, right. I would, the, the end of the week, I was, I didn't know my name. <laughs> this is hard. How was I doing this before? <laughs> How does everybody do this? I mean, that was that was just the norm, right? Get up early before the sun comes up. Go sit in your car for an hour and a half. Be around people all day. Sit in your car for an hour and a half. Get home after dark. That was just normal. Yeah. I'm not standing for that anymore. <laughs> Well, let's dig into building relationships and let's spend some time with Dr. L. L. Carol Scott. Again, as I said in the open, she's a trauma-informed developmental psychologist. She's spoken on the TEDx stage. Her TEDx talk over there is called Never Forever Lost, and it's about dreaming big. Definitely worth your time. She's a coach, best-selling author. She brings the sass, those self-aware success strategies, and we will talk about those. Her first book is called Just Be Yourself. S-E-L-F is an acronym. Your Guide to Improving Any Relationship. This provides a framework and tools. We love frameworks. We love tools. <laughs> um, she talks about the concept of developmental do-overs, and I want to ask her about that. What are those things and why do we care? Um, and she talks about seven capacities that are meant to develop in your early childhood, your first seven years of life. So I'm kind of interested in how things that happen to us as kids impact us as adults, especially um, I saw that um, that Hillary is reading The Body Keeps the Score, too. And that's so much about what happens to you as a kid and how it impacts you in, in your adult life. So I'm, I'm curious about that. She's a thought leader here in early care and education uh, and is the former president of the board for Child Care Aware of America. So she's awesome. Let's give her a big TCB welcome, everybody. Welcome, Carol. <laughs> oh, how great. That's the best welcome I've ever had on a podcast. <laughs> we don't mess around at the bartender, Carol. No, We're you fun. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so Carol, tell everybody a little bit about you. You know, I, I don't imagine when you were a child, you just, you set out to be the thing that you are today, 
But here you are doing this thing as an expert in this space. Just give us a little bit of the the potted history of your career arc and how you got here. Oh, thanks. That's a, I love that question. I haven't had it for a, a long time. I really thought I was going to be a shrink. I was going to be a clinical okay. psychologist. That's what I thought. Not when I was little. Then I was going to be like an African bush pilot, or I had some pretty wild ideas. But Excellent. When, I, <laughs> when I went off to college, I was pretty sure I was going to be a clinical psychologist. And I started out majoring in psychology. And then, you know, those electives you have to take for a liberal uh-huh. arts degree, somebody said, well, here's a class in child development. Students really seem to like it. They call it an easy A. And I'm like, I can use an easy <laughs> I'm A. I'm into that. <laughs> so I took an introductory course in child development. And it literally grabbed me by my spiritual shirt front, I think, and said, you're coming with us. Wow. Um, and so I pursued, I switched my major to human development. Um, I then later decided to minor in anthropology. Okay. So I had 15 hours of psychology under my belt and the rest of it was human development and human culture education. Mm-hmm. And so um I went on to pursue a master's degree in early childhood education and then started on a doctorate in developmental and child psychology, which is a very fancy term, which means child development. (laughs) So I studied child development at the undergraduate level. I lived it at the master's level in a classroom full of children. I was an assistant teacher and then a lead teacher in a university operated preschool learning literally in a laboratory. Um, And then as a doctoral student um, studying child development at the PhD level, I also had the opportunity to be a director of one of the university laboratory preschools. And that was the miracle for healing. Because at 30, a few years into that PhD program, I decided my life underneath the radar really was a contradiction to what I looked like to people in my career world. I was a young emerging professional. I was being asked to serve on boards. I was having, I was starting to speak and do workshops and I was chaos in my personal (laughs) life, total chaos. And so I went to therapy. I woke up literally after my 30th birthday and said, this is not sustainable. There's gotta be something wrong with somebody who lives like this. And so I went to therapy and part of the process in therapy was that I had a great therapist who said, look, you have a learning laboratory right in front of you every day because you're trying to learn social skills and emotional intelligence. She didn't call it that back then, right? but you're gathering social and emotional capacities that your kids are learning right now in real time. They're getting them in the developmental period they were supposed to, and you're playing catch up. Why don't you take a look at what they're doing? Mm. And that changed everything. And so the I think the very first seeds for the self-aware success strategies were planted right then when That's I started awesome. connecting this thing I know about child development isn't just about the kids in front of me. It's about me. Mm. I lived this history and it's still here with me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sorry, go ahead. Well, and so I was, what I was going to say is, you know, over time and, and learning more and more through my career, putting together the pieces of neurological brain development, the neuroscience that started um, being known in the 1990s came into my thinking around that. And then now the adverse childhood experiences list and the research we have on how those kind of traumas that we call ACEs Um, wire the nervous system and what we have to do about that as adults. That's all getting woven into all of this background. And it's become this 
incredibly rich tapestry for me and for everyone I talk to, I hope. <laughs> so it's funny. It brings a question to my mind from the, from the body keeps the score, because in that book, the author keeps going back to the well to try to get this early childhood trauma into the DSM as a diagnosis. And so far where I am in the book, I'm about a third of the way through. He's been shot down twice. Does it ever happen? Does he ever get it in? I don't think so, but <laughs> I, I couldn't swear to it. I don't follow the DSM closely, the changes they make to it all the time. But I, it's, you it's, know, I, I think it's a really important, I think we have, you know, complex post-traumatic stress disorder is sort of the same thing. Right. Um, if you have more than two or three of those ACEs, and you had them for a while, for years, over and over again. Because you can't, when you're a kid, you can't get away. Right. You're stuck with what you got for a family and you can't yeah. leave it until you get to, you know, at least 13, 14. Most kids right. don't really run away. <laughs> <laughs> right. I tried. I'd made it for like eight hours and then I got hungry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the 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 core of your sassiness here is around self-awareness. What does self-awareness have to do with success and why does that matter? You know, I think really until we are aware of who we are and how, what our operating system is driving in our behavior, we can't be successful in any way. And I think of success really broadly defined. I don't think of it just as a corporate title and a big salary and a boat. You know, it's like things and titles and money are the way a lot of people measure success. But I think success really is, are you full of enthusiasm and joy for your life? Are you doing something that you love? And is it meaningful to you? That no matter what, you can be a successful mother, you can be a successful bicyclist, you can be a successful corporate CEO, all of those things have their own version of that. Mm -hmm. And so without knowing, really seeing myself, really facing not only my gifts, which is really hard for some people to face, the gifts and the, the good that I bring to the world, but facing my shadow, facing the darkness, facing the damage and getting myself out of being driven by that, I guess, you know, it's like, what is, what is the fuel that's driving what I'm doing? I need that not to be the trauma. So yeah. Th yeah. that's the, that's the SA part. So the SS of SAS is the success strategies. This is how you unwire that from being the fuel. This is how you, you recenter. Exactly. What, what are these uh, success strategies and why are strategies that little kids use be, how can those be about success? Because we gather our, almost our entire social and emotional intelligence toolkit before we're seven and a what? big chunk of it before we're five wow. and the wiring, yeah, right. And here's, the really shocker, the wiring of your brain for social and emotional capacities is almost all completed by three. Hmm. And none of us remember three and before, really. We have stories from our families. We have ideas about what it was like for us based on what we've been told. But there's no concrete mental memory. There might be body memories. There might be Carol, sensations. that seems patently unfair. I agree completely. <laughs> I agree I, you know, completely. Since I've been in this frame thinking about these things and reading this book, every time I read a story about weird shit that happens to a kid, I think, wow, we have no idea what the impact of that is going to be on that person as an adult human. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And some of it, we do have a pretty good idea. So the adverse childhood experiences research 
tells us not only does it have consequences for emotional development and psychological health, but it actually affects the body in ways that we have long-term medical, physical consequences. We're more prone to cancer and um, debilitating diseases and chronic fatigue syndrome and all kinds of things. It actually does affect not only the neural wiring, but then of course the brain's in charge of everything. So it affects the whole body. That blew my mind too. There's a story in that book about um, a woman who gets lupus in her cornea as a result of early childhood trauma. Um, And then they dove into a whole study on the difference between incest as a trauma and everything else. And it's that big a deal. Um, So translating this into, into adult life, why do corporate leaders need to be trauma informed? And what does that even mean? You know, we, we used to think that, I, I think, the sort of uh, corporate culture, 50s, 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s and 90s, it was a lot about, you just check your personality and your personal life at the door. Right. You, business is business. You're expected to come in and be this other person without a past, without relationships, without, and yet, you A, they can't do it at all. They're right. going to bring it. They bring their whole self to whatever job they have. and the relationships they have then with the people that you need them. If they're a customer service person, you need them to provide a relationship basis conversation with the customer. If they're a leader and they're managing a team, they need to have a relationship of cooperation with the team members. Well, when did you learn to cooperate and how do you do it? Well, you learned to cooperate when you were three, four and five years old. And maybe what you do is you're a bully. Or maybe what you do is you're a doormat and you're codependent and everybody ro- rides roughshod over you, right? Yeah, so like, what if you were an asshole when you were four years old? That, <laughs> that has profound implications for your leadership style. <laughs> it does, it does. And so they're going to bring all of that history with them and they're mm-hmm. going to act from the, the fuel that they're putting into their operating system is either going to be those traumas or it's going to be something healthier. And that's, and the thing that's interesting about that is most of that for a lot of people is unconscious. Oh, right? totally. They're, they're just, I, I am wired in a way that I don't think about or do or, or question at all. No curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so they are the asshole or the doormat or the, or maybe they're very well adjusted, but they've never considered why. <laughs> is anybody really well adjusted? I'm reconsidering <laughs> that whole notion right now. <laughs> It, so if they say they're well adjusted or they have a functional family, they're a liar. <laughs> Just say they're still unconscious. They're still there unconscious. I am. Yeah. Didn't you didn't you guys miss me while I was away? <laughs> so you know, it, it's funny, Carol. It makes me think too. I mean, it it sounds, you know, sort of remotely Freudian, this idea that what happened to you as a child has such a profound impact on who you are as an adult. I and I'm thinking because I always say there's a fine line between realism and cynicism, and I have one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat there. Um, Do people, have you run across people who use this as an excuse? Hey, it's not my fault. This is how I was brought up, but just, you know, you have to deal with me being a big fat jerk face because, you know, my, my mom didn't treat me nice when I was three and I have no recollection of this. You know, I haven't ever met anybody who took it that far, but just recently I met someone who went as far as, kind of the first part of that, well, this is how I am because of what happened when I was young. And I know I should do something about it, but I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to talk to somebody about this. I don't want to try to fix it. It's too late. I'm just going to be an asshole for the rest of my life. <laughs> and you're like, bye. <laughs> but bye. Yeah. I don't think I want to work with you. Exactly. exactly. So, so you said we learn most of these, these things by age seven and you have this sort of codified into a manifesto which I love. What is the SAS manifesto? It is a set of seven statements of what you deserve to have if you were able to use these strategies successfully as an adult. Okay. And so you deserve, for example, one of them says, I deserve to have what I want. Right? It's the negotiation one, I think, starts that way. I don't know it by heart. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's a way of saying about these seven social and emotional intelligences that you deserve to have them. Mm -hmm. And it, and my opinion is, and what I seem to be demonstrating so far is, it's never too late for the development do-over. You know, we know what is how that? These, we know how these processes develop. These, this is a um, predictable developmental pattern that we understand really well in child development. When you're a newborn infant. You have to trust. You don't have any other choice than to trust because you're utterly dependent, utterly dependent on other people. You will die without them. So you trust that you have needs that will be met and people meet your needs. Mm -hmm. if, you if things go well, people meet your needs and you develop the pattern in your nervous system that says, I have a need, somebody comes and takes care of me. I have a need, somebody meets my need. I'm hungry, I get fed. I'm cold, somebody wraps me up. I'm alone and I wanna be with people, somebody comes and gets me and plays with me, okay? And if that's your consistent pattern, then you grow up to be a person who's comfortable needing things and believes that, that those needs will be taken care of by other people or by the world in general. It's like, and your needs get a whole lot more complicated than having your diaper changed and having a bottle put in your mouth. There are things like <laughs> validation, uh, being seen and heard for who you are, being comfortable, feeling safe. You know, they're, they become more complicated, but you've got the baseline and you get it in your first six months. I, I love it. It's, it's funny, it, just listening to you talk about it. It's the difference between me and Lori. Lori, Lori is well adjusted and is co just convinced that the world is going to, it's going to work out. Meanwhile, I sit with my back to the wall in a restaurant so I can watch the door. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Fundamental difference in approach. And, you know, sometimes I say things to Lori just about things that I'm thinking. And she says, I wouldn't, that would never even occur to me. Right. Like how, what happened to you? <laughs> So I, I love this idea, these, these principles, right? Trust, independence, faith, negotiation, vision, compromise, and acceptance. And I just put this up on the screen. This, this is a page out of the gift that Carol will be making available to you. Um, after the session today, if you shoot her an email, she will send you a, a PDF of this book that's called Become Your Sassy Self, which I think is fantastic. Um, and I, I loved it. I love this, this idea of, of breaking it down into these, I deserve statements yeah. because I struggle with this, right. Yeah. Just as a, as a depression and anxiety person in general, I struggle with the idea of deserving anything. Um, and to see it kind of broken down this way, I, I found myself just kind of staring at this page for a while 
because it, it hit me in my, in my core to say these things out loud, right? You know, I deserve this. I deserve that. Um, and, and there's seven pretty powerful statements here. It's, it's a, it's a mindset shift to be sure. So Carol, you mentioned this in the context of the developmental do-over. What is that? Well, so for trust, um, uh, these are the development do-overs are activities, coaching uh, processes that I engage with for people, engage people into that mimic, give them an adult version of oh. the experience that the infant had. Okay, so for trust, let's talk about what I do a little bit for trust. I ask people to think about what do you need, which is just a really hard question for a lot of people. Are you are you asking that in the sort of Maslow level one way or just in all the general? way up, okay. all the way, all, all the categories. Okay. And I have a, a, a disc, a wheel of uh, 12 categories of human needs that are, mm-hmm. we all have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the need for identity, somebody to, you know, other people see you. Um, the need to communicate what you think and to hear other people and understand them. The need to be physically comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, have you ever seen the person who like creates a nest around themselves at the conference table? Like they brought Mm -hmm. all the things, their (laughs) special water bottle, their blanket, their little, you know, they maybe got a picture of the spouse. I don't know. Like versus the person who flies in at the last minute is like, oh, shoot, I forgot a sweater. (laughs) Can I borrow a pen? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, so what are your needs? Let's just say what they are. Let's list them. I need praise when I do a good job. I need that in my life. And Carol, you're feel, killing it right now. You're I don't feel bad it about it. <laughs> <laughs> I do not, I do not apologize for needing to be told I did a good job. And so where do I get that? The second part of the question then is where do I get that need met? Who's mm-hmm. meeting that need for me right now? And it's like, who's the person I can depend on and name a person or two who, you know, when you need to be appreciated for what you do, they're good at that. Most of the time, they get to have a bad day every now and then. And on the other side then is who is not good at it? Yeah. Who do you know that's just, that's not their forte to to give you that. But maybe they'll show up on the yes side for another need you have. You know, I have a friend who is constantly late. So being, feeling respected when people are on time, that's like a need that I used to have. I don't worry about it so much anymore. I never, I knew she was not ever going to meet that need, but I knew Mm -hmm. who would. But she met my need to spew crazy BS off the emotional crazy plane and just listen to me and calmly accept whatever I said and not try to fix me and not tell me I'm nuts, but listen all the way through and then say, is there anything you want to do about that? Is there any feedback you want about, you know, just a good listener. Yeah. So who meets your need? Who doesn't meet your need? And what are you doing? Who are you turning to when you need that? Are you over there beating your head bloody on the brick wall of the one person who can't do it Mm -hmm. instead of turning to the five people you know who are good at it? Why? Let's look at that. So, And then taking it, you know, further and further steps down that road in the coaching. Yeah, you're punching me in the guts right now, Carol. Go ahead, Lori. (laughs) Can I ask, and and I think this is what what you're getting at, right, in terms of the, the rewiring, right? Because how... For somebody who goes through most of their life feeling like they don't deserve a thing or are not worthy of a thing, intellectually, you can go through that exercise of going, yeah, I know I'm a 
I'm a nice person and I deserve good things, but it doesn't sink in. It doesn't get down into your heart and your gut. How do you, how do you go from intellectually getting it to actually experiencing it and living your life as though you deserve it? Yeah, and the, That's the right answer. Ding, I need ding, to hear ding. this. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And the, the getting deeper, you know, so this is about how much I do in a workshop when I, or I get up and I talk to a group of people. When you really commit to diving into that work, then it's about, okay, now we're going to practice. Here's a person you've identified as being able to meet this need you have. How do you ask them to meet another need that you think they might also be good at mm. that is related to that? So for my friend, uh, Abigail, who's such a good listener, um, to recognize that she doesn't meet the need, uh, another need that I have that is related to that. What, what have I ever tried her out on it? What, if, what, how would that look? How would I sort of test the waters? How would I step in and, and try that? If this is somebody who feels like a really emotionally intimate connection for me, but we've never physically been like people who hugged each other. How do I get from you're a person who meets my need for emotional intimacy in the mental realm to we could actually sit side by side and hold hands and talk to each other and it would not feel sexual. It would just be, mm -hmm. I'm getting my need met for physical mm -hmm. nurture. Closeness, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So there, it sounds like then there's some, there's some agency, right? It's, it's taking, taking control of what feels out of control or out of reach. Yes. And creating it for yourself then. Yeah. Yeah. And the introduction to all seven sort of encaps, it, it wraps up at the end with a lot of awareness of how much choice we have mm -hmm. and how much agency we have mm -hmm. and how much responsibility we have when we move in, this into really applying mm -hmm. it to relationships. Wow. I get to choose so much about what I do if I'm being self-aware about it and that we take it that's why they all start with self-awareness hmm. wow i love it yeah because that seems to be the bridge that's hard to cross yeah. you can right self-awareness has to happen but it doesn't get you across the bridge that's right right those right. choices and actions and yes yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the, the thing that I said at the beginning about what you uh, need, think, feel, and want is the heart of who you are. Mm -hmm. That's the first three of these success strategies. It's trust. Your ability to know that you have needs and get them met is trust. Your ability to know that you have thoughts, feelings, and things you want that are totally yours inside your skin. Nobody else knows about them unless you talk about them. Nobody else shares them with you necessarily. And you might you know, ever find someone who thinks and feels and wants exactly the same things you do. That's your uniqueness as a human being right there. What you need, think, feel, and want. And then the three-year-old takes that want part <laughs> and blows the top off of it and turns it into the ability to dream create, imagine. So mm -hmm. want for a toddler, because the toddler gets the think, feel, want piece. That's independence as a strategy. This is who I am. I think this, I feel this, and I want that dirty gum wrapper on the ground. <laughs> or I want that beautiful, shiny glass object on grandma's shelf, right? That's the wanting part of the toddler. The three-year-old all of a sudden notices how much magic and, and crazy stuff there is in the world and starts wanting a whole lot of really big stuff like growing up to be a unicorn and stuff like that and if I you've was. been around toddlers and three-year-olds you guys are know exactly what i'm talking about mm -hmm. yeah 
And this, if, if we support children through those first three years in getting their needs met, being seen for who they are uniquely in the world mm -hmm. and their capacity to imagine the possibility of anything happening, that is the biggest, steadiest foundation from which to develop the whole rest of your life, in my opinion. Oh. Man, that's big stuff. Yeah. Big stuff. That's big stuff. I love that. Um, I want to open it up to questions, Carol, but before we do, um, if, if people want to learn more about you, want to work with you, want their free copy of become your sassy self, how do they find you? lcarolscott.com is the, where everything begins. I am on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn as Dr. L Carol or Dr. L Carol Scott. And, um, I have uh, this gift that I would love to send you. If you send me an email at that URL, it's carol at lcarolscott.com. And just tell me that you, well, I'll remember all of you, but you can tell me you saw me on <laughs> The Corporate Bartender and I'll send you back my, it's probably called it a bookend, 28 pages, cover to cover, little PDF, gives you the whole framework. All right. Awesome. I just dropped. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I just dropped her email address into the chat for those of you here live. Uh, for those of you not, I will put that over on the bartender network so you can access that. Um, want to open it up to questions. Uh, you know, we're knocking on a lot of things that are kind of near and dear to my heart right now. Uh, just dealing with my own set of depressive issues. Um, some of the things that she said, just who, um, so I'm going to back off and ask, let you guys ask questions if you have any for her. This makes me think a lot about um, saboteurs. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with that, that term, right? Those those voices in our head. There's been some work done around it. Um, oh, the Shirzad work on positive intelligence, yeah. right? Yeah. And, there's, um, and the way he defines it as like, we all have this voice in our head. He calls it the judge. And there's sort of different flavors to it. There's like hyperachiever, people pleaser. Avoider. Um, avoider. <laughs> Cheers. And so, and I, and, and the way that he talks about it, I'm trying to formulate a question here because I'm trying to make the connection, um, is that these voices, the, the self-talk, the push, the, these drivers, um, are formulated when we're younger. And, and now it's, it's all about recognizing those voices and understanding how they're driving our behavior today. And is it, it's, it, it connects to your fuel comment. I think that's what really landed to mm -hmm. me. What's the fuel that's driving you. Um, and so I was just curious how you see the connection between those two pieces. Well, you know, I, I believe that during that identity period, when we're gaining the strategy of independence, being who we are, yeah. unfortunately, uh, particularly in Western and heavily in American culture, the message is you're not okay the way you are. So, yeah. And I don't think parents and teachers even, toddler teachers do this too. I don't think they mean to tell children you're not okay who you are. But what kids hear is, I want that. No, you can't have that. That's nasty. Don't touch that. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. And then they're, they're for the first time trying to express their thoughts and express their emotions and they stink at it. They're terrible. <laughs> it's like when they first started walking a year yeah. or so before that, they stink 
we're bad at it. They fell down all the time. Yeah. Well, they fall down at expressing their thoughts and expressing their feelings, but we don't think, oh, it's okay. Get up, try again. We're, we aren't the encourager. We're the, you're a tantruming toddler. You're a terrible toddler. I had one toddler mm-hmm. parent tell me that his son was a bully. He, he wow. was 18 months old. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. He's not. He's just trying to get himself heard mm-hmm. and he's not being heard. And so a lot of those messages that we hear that start with you, like you F an idiot when you drop something. Okay. Those <laughs> that we say messages, to ourselves. Right. But it's yeah. a, it's a voice we've got recorded and yeah. it's on Amen. auto loop. And yeah. it came from the outside and it got wired mm. into your brain. We talk about that a lot. The idea that I say things, we collectively, we will say things mm-hmm. to ourselves that we would never say to another mm-hmm. human being. Yes. Like mean, nasty shit we will say to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a, I, I've read a, a Buddhist author called Michael Singer who uh, wrote The Untethered Soul. And he says, if the voice in your head was a roommate sitting on your couch talking to you like that, you would have thrown him out long ago. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I I really think that that's where that judge voice comes from. It's the Mm -hmm. the judgmental voices of the adults around us when we're first learning to express ourselves. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Carol. Yeah. Thanks, Ruby. That was a great question, Ruby. Thank you. Any- was it a question? <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> it was a pontification. <laughs> Any other questions before we get into our close for the day? I've got one. Yeah. Um. So thinking about, Eric, what you started with, with building relationships at work and seeing how the trend has gotten to encourage vulnerability. Um, mm-hmm. But then Carol said, you also have to exercise a little discretion around what your need is and kind of who you're <laughs> expecting to meet that. So thinking about the work environment and being vulnerable with colleagues or coworkers, wondering if you have any advice on how to not, how to either, I guess, maybe um, bolster yourself if you had a vulnerable moment and it did not really get you what <laughs> you were well. for, or yeah, or how you how you discern in some steps, maybe when you share and when you pull back a little bit. Yeah, I think for me, it has been a process of learning and getting more sophisticated at judging when and how to take that incremental step toward it. So I'm not going to go all the way to let me tell you about the seven adverse childhood experiences I lived with in my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to start there, but but, you know, uh, let me tell you about how I, um, in my later years, transformed my relationship with my mom from one of conflict mm-hmm. to one of harmony, um, what I was able to do in relation, because that can eventually take us back to how mom was the critical judge, how mom was the emotionally distant person who, you know, created a lot of the adverse childhood experiences for me. So I think it's, it is exactly as you described it, Hillary, it's taking, learning the self-awareness and the discernment to take a small step rather than leap into the deep end with somebody. And so is it fair to say that maybe also having things in context helps versus, you know, if someone says, how are you? And you're like, well, let me tell you about <laughs> trauma that that's. Just- I just wanted to make small talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And I, I think that's a great, that's a great term to remember small talk and large talk. Mm. 
-hmm. talking about something that's emotionally uh, charged for me is large talk. Mm -hmm. And I need to get from small to large with some steps instead of going, but in a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually said to people, do you really want to know? Or what, I mean, what are we doing here? Right. Is it yeah. Slide, how are you? Or Because <laughs> yeah. if you're really asking, get a coffee and let's sit down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is going to take a minute if you really want to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Hillary. Great. Great question. Yeah. Awesome. Anybody else? All right. Well, if you do have questions, you now have Carol's contact information and you can reach out to her directly. Um, Carol, thanks for being here with us today. We're going to do our closing bits. We do some funny things. We do a quick good feel story because we want to restore our faith in humanity. And then we do what we call a semi-quarantine cocktail, which is just something that's kind of funny and based loosely on a cocktail recipe. Uh, Today's funny things from the hybrid work category Um, when you see your boss at the bar at 2 p.m. on a Friday after you both said you were working from home. (laughs) Whoops. Hello, Michael Caine. From the 80s music file, uh, this is a B-52s reference. Pretty rude to invite me to a party at your funky little shack and then require that I bring the jukebox money. (laughs) (laughs) B-52s. I actually said that, Ruby. Come on. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I asked my boyfriend what he wished he could change about me. And instead of saying something cute like nothing, you're perfect. He said nut allergy. <laughs> 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 wah, wah. Uh, this one, I actually had the same thought and I'm so glad somebody tweeted it. Uh, this is about the uh, in Russia, you know, Starbucks exited Russia. So they uh, opened a new local coffee chain with a very similar look. They just put a babushka on the on the icon's head and they call it Stars Coffee. And the guy says here, or the Alice says here, uh, seriously, they went with this when Starbucks was right there for the taking. <laughs> uh, this one just made me giggle out loud by myself in my office. That's okay, hilarious. <laughs> hear me out. Luigiana. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And my favorite funny thing today, this is what happens when you let kids at a school vote on the school name change. The the renaming of Robert E. Lee Elementary, the top top vote getters here were Drew Brees Elementary, Bruce Lee Elementary, (laughs) John Cena Elementary School, the Adolf Hitler School for Friendship and Tolerance. <laughs> and my favorite, Schooly McSchoolface. <laughs> oh my God, those are great. Uh, today's good feel story, Steve Hartman. He's going to do what he does and he's going to get you. Steve Hartman this morning has the story of one referee's very close call. Not many people get to return to the scene of their death. But earlier this month, John Scully of Rochester, New York, stepped back into the gym where his time expired. That's the last thing I saw right there, 246. Do you recognize this at all? John is a basketball referee. (laughs) They cut it, right? It's my jersey. 
Back in June, John was officiating a semi-pro game between the Jamestown Jackals and Toledo Glass City. That's him on the near side, seconds before his heart attack. The deadliest kind of heart attack, called a widowmaker. Doctors told John's fiance, Donna, almost no one survives it. Yeah, 1% of the population, and he's that 1%. I was in the right place at the right time. I mean, that's why I'm here. Within seconds, a Toledo player named Miles Copeland rushed to his side and started doing CPR. I've never witnessed uh, someone just collapse, but uh, I knew what had to be done. Turns out the Toledo forward is also a Toledo firefighter. A brand new one, just a year out of the academy. What does that feel like when all is said and done and you've saved a life? It's honestly one of the best feelings in the world. Few moments will ever come close, except maybe oh my God. this one. We invited Miles to stop by the gym. It was their first meeting. I love you, man. You know I love you. After quadruple bypass surgery, John says he's feeling better than ever and looks forward to getting back on the court. And if you're refing another game that Miles is playing in and he commits a foul, safe to say you'll look the other way. Safe to say not. <laughs> Come on, what's the guy got to do? I love him, but he's not getting a fraudulent call. Fine by Miles. Love you too, man. Because he's already had the best game of his career. Oh, Steve uh, Hartman. Steve Hartman's. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Every time, every time he, he makes you cry. All right, so today's semi-quarantine cocktail is called Alfredo. It's a riff on the Don Alfredo. You're going to need an ounce and a half of Pisco, which is one of Morag's favorite drinks from South America. You're going to need one Tennessee Highway, some elderflower liqueur. Alfredo sauce is everywhere. (laughs) So this truck overturned, and the entire load of Bertoli Alfredo sauce was smashed on Interstate 55. A little bit of lime juice. One of the quotes that I loved from the interview was it smelled great. Like we were at the Olive Garden for about an hour. And then the Tennessee heat and humidity made it smell rank and awful. (laughs) Gonna need a little club soda. And I thought it was too bad they couldn't get together with the 150,000 tomatoes that spilled on a Vacaville highway just the day before this event. So... With that, I will leave you all. It has been awesome. Thanks, Dr. Scott, for being here with us today. Big up to you. Thank you. Everybody else, we will see you next week. Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender. <laughs>